Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, this week's topic is Masculinity's Then and Now Part 2 and I have the second two of my interviews from the Barbican exhibition Masculinity's Liberation Through Photography with photographers Liz Johnson-Arthur and Catherine Opie who are I was lucky enough to interview before lockdown so for those of you who did not manage to see it there's a little audio snapshot of some of what the exhibition was about and you know from the photographers themselves which is quite exciting but first since we are speaking about masculinities and last week I spoke about two very neoclassical and more traditional takes on masculinity from Jacques-Louis David I thought it'd be interesting to look at specific presentation of men from the same era, so we're still on 18th century, but they may perhaps conform to a more feminine standard of presentation, again, which is kind of offering a contrast to the Barbican's more progressive and fluid take on modern and multi-dimensional masculinities. So we're looking at it from all angles today. still do want to preface this conversation by saying that I personally do not believe that masculinity pertains to being a man. I believe it's a social construct, but it is interesting to compare and contrast expressions of masculinity through the ages, if nothing else, but to see how we have evolved as humans. And macaroni is the trope I wanted to explore today. And this is kind of the 18th century equivalent to the 21st century metrosexual, which loosely translates by the Oxford Dictionary as a young urban heterosexual male with liberal political views and interest in fashion and a refined sense of taste so I love that the 18th century kind of had its own version of that and I kind of like to think of it as drag before drag was an acceptable thing back then but it might help if you actually google the word macaroni followed by 18th century so you can get an idea of what it is I'm talking about and get a visual otherwise um, if you just google macaroni you're going to end up with delicious pasta that's not what we want we want macaroni followed by 18th century or man if you want to to add that to and then you should get a load of images come up of what it is that I'm talking about so the origin of macaroni originates from the 18th century off the back of the trend for young aristocratic men to go on what's called the grand tour of Europe and really really see the world again kind of our 21st equivalent to the gap yar or something similar and earlier in the century these young men had been known as bows and later they were referred to as dandies but macaroni was the term used to describe 
the young and rich and well-travelled men who had visited Italy amongst other countries in Europe and developed a taste for macaroni pasta during their travels. It does literally include a reference to pasta, but uh, they were therefore deemed as being part of the macaroni club or the kind of elusive aristocratic club of men who had experienced more that the world had to offer. And many of them had also picked up new and more elaborate fashion tastes, having visited these cultural hubs of Paris and Milan that were dotted around Europe. The look often consisted of wearing big, high and predominantly white wigs, makeup and little and little hats and even spy glasses and generally, quote, exceeding the ordinary bound of fashion, which is a very posh 18th century way of saying a bit out there. <laughs> Uh, But the look was criticised years after for being too ephemeral. But for me, as I said before, kind of looks like drag before drag was a thing. And definitely Google this look because then you're going to be able to see what I'm talking about. So what is this, my son Tom, is a print from 1774. And it's probably one of the images that's going to come up when you Google this. And also one of the most stereotypical examples of the macaroni in popular culture Now, the son in this image is dressed in the most elaborate wig you have ever seen, with a hat on top that his father can only reach with an actual sword. Uh, He's in a very decorative style of dress, including a jacket, waistcoat and breeches. And satirical prints were probably the most common circulation of this image of the macaroni as well. Satirical images were quite common during this time, um, especially in the UK and in France. And well, I suppose most of Europe really, but in particularly this era. And Mary and Matthew Darley, they were an engraving shop and print seller and would sell the satirical prints of this image in the West End of London. And it became so popular a shop that it became known as the Macaroni Print Shop because this image was so prevalent at the time. Now, I found this description on History Today website and it's an extract from Smollett's novel, Roderick Random from 1748, where he describes Captain Whiffle. So I'm going to read this in uh, the 18th century posh voice so overshadowed with a vast umbrella dressed in this manner a white hat garnished with a red feather adorned his head from whence his hair flowed upon his shoulders in ringlets tied behind with ribbon his coat consisting of pink colored silk lined with white by the elegance of the cut retired backwards as it were to discover a white satin waistcoat embroidered with gold unbuttoned at the upper part to display a brooch set with garnets that glittered in the breast of his shirt which was the finest cambric edged with right mechlin I think that's how you say that the knees of his crimson velvet breeches scarcely descended so low as to meet his silk stockings which rose without a spot or wrinkle on his meagre legs from shoes of blue meroquin I think studded with diamond buckles that flamed forth rivals to the sun but his most remarkable part of his furniture were a mask on his face and white gloves on his hands which did not seem to be put on with an intention to be pulled off occasionally but were fixed with a curious ring on the little finger of each hand (laughs) how fabulous is that 
from the History Today website, as I said, an extract from Smollett's novel Roderick Random from 1784. Now, I chose to speak about the motif of the macaroni because at a time where homosexuality, cross-dressing and anything else that was considered a deviation from the norm, in quote-unquote, was illegal, men are at the same time styling themselves in these elaborate ways, wearing jewellery and wigs and other decorative pieces. And there seem to be these little pockets of free expression that sort of contradict the idea of very separate expressions of masculinity and femininity that we are taught existed during this time and up until arguably very recently but perhaps the boundaries were more blurred back then or more likely i reckon the way we see masculine and feminine has been different throughout history proving that the constructs such as masculinity that we have made for ourselves over time have never been and can never be binary which is quite a liberating idea i think Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. I hope you enjoyed my little description of a little detour for what we would consider traditional 18th century masculinity, which I was absolutely loving. And now it is time for the interviews I made at the Barbican, at the Barbican's exhibition, Masculinity's Liberation Through Photography. My first interview is with Liz Johnson Artur, who's a Ghanaian and Russian photographer whose piece was made from photographs and embroidery and called Tableau Vivant, If You Cool, The Sun Always Shines. And this was featured in the Upstairs Gallery. So here is my interview with Liz. Enjoy. I'm here with Liz Johnson Artur. Hi, Liz. Hi. Are you having a nice time? Are you enjoying it? Yes, yes. It's been, it's been, yeah, nice and mellow. Good. Firstly, congratulations on having your work exhibited here. It is called Tableau Vivant. If you, if you call the sun always shines, is that right? From 2020. Why don't you talk me through in your own words the meaning behind your work? Because it's, it's inter- you've, you've, you're multimedia here. We've got yeah. photography and we've got embroidery as well. Yeah. So I think in a certain way what it was I wanted to because I made this for the show so when they asked me uh, if I wanted to be in the show rather than just digging in photographs I thought I'd, yeah. I'd rather respond to yeah the title organically of the show. Yeah, yeah absolutely and and I guess my idea was to build something that should end up in a frame which is usually not where my work ends up I try to actually have it more accessible but in this case I felt like I wanted to do something fragile I wanted to put in one frame elements that I don't really see put together Okay, interesting. So, so talk me through because we've got almost uh, there's a Last Supper. Oh, it is uh, the Last Supper. <laughs> it here. is. We've it got, is the um, Mona, Lisa. Mona Lisa. Don't ask me about this one because I haven't worked out yet who the painter is. I mean, it's still stunning. Did you do? You did the embroidery as well. My mum did the oh, embroidery. Oh, phenomenal! Yeah. Oh my goodness! I don't even know where you begin to embroider something that detailed. You know, you start with a blank canvas. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> as when she start, I remember because <laughs> she did them when I was like a teenager wow. and. Um, yeah, it took her two years, but they arrived as a blank canvas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. So, so talk me through the, the narrative here. What, what would you like your audience to kind of see first, or as an entirety? I, is there a story? I mean, first or? of all, I don't want to tell the audience nothing because mm. I put everything in there. Yeah. So it's not a matter Fair of enough. me taking people through it, but I think yeah. the elements that uh, you see, I wanted to bring together. Mm. I wanted to bring them together in a certain way that. Um, they're connected absolutely that there is also an element of tactility there 
Yeah, they're really in, they're very in their, textual. In their visual Even the photographs very textual. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And you know, because it is something that these pictures happened by me been made by hand mm. so I liked to keep that element in it I like to also keep this thing of um, bringing in in terms of when people see the Last Supper mm. they might not necessarily connect the things that are underneath there mm. and that's great because that's what I want yeah, you yeah, know yeah. I want people to maybe go back and forth yeah and what they discover well that's something that I don't I can't direct yeah. I don't want to direct sure Absolutely. So you're, um, you're originally, so you're Ghanaian and Russian, is mm -hmm. that right? So your understanding of masculinity, has that been influenced by your culture and, and your... I was asked this before and I have to say masculinity is not a term I use in everyday life. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's a kind of construct that for me, that's I guess why I wanted to do something new. Mm. Because I thought I never go around looking for masculinity, you know. It, men women I take them as they are yeah but I thought that okay if it is about this idea of masculinity then maybe it's quite nice to bring in you know the Last Supper is one of those supposedly male tables yeah you know I mean it's a symbol of that yeah yeah so I kind of like to use that and see what it would be like if I lay my table now mm. you know and I think yeah. there was elements of trying to yeah try to talk with images you know, I don't know the painter, but I don't think it's important in this context mm. because what was important for me was my reaction in terms of what photographs um, mm. I can I can put together. Mm. So I think it's really finding all the elements and mm. then putting them together yeah. and then let people make their yeah. own mind up. And of course, it's an art in itself too, because uh, you're having an interaction with you know yourself and the work, and then the viewer and the work, and it's all that all kind of informs the art, I, I suppose. I think so. Yes, and I think what it informs is that people ask questions that I might not ask or not thought about. Yeah, yeah. But that's cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah. think what I want here is really if people like or are interested to spend some time looking at it mm, mm. and as I said I present it in a way where it's possible to connect different elements yeah absolutely. and that's all I want yeah yeah I love that I want to talk briefly because obviously it is a primarily uh, a, you know a photography exhibition mm -hmm. obviously you've used different mediums here but was there sort of a benefit to using photography I, I always find there's sort of an honesty to photography in a way um, but yeah what, what are your thoughts on that on, on using I mean, photographs you know for me photography I am a photographer as much as I'm an artist mm. probably I've been much longer a photographer mm. than I say I'm an artist mm. but I think what it is for me is that photography is the base of the things that I do you know like I used I try not to use other people's work but because it's my mum I thought she she'll be okay Absolutely, you know yeah. so but my response is photographic how but photographic again like masculinity doesn't have to be on one surface mm -hmm. you know it can be on many surfaces so I wanted to use that freedom as well mm, absolutely we've sort of answered my final question which is uh, you know how what response do you hope the audience will have and I guess the, res it, the answer is whatever response they have I suppose you know you can't do your work thinking what people are gonna I mean at least mm. I can't because mm. you know to start with I have to be in a space where it makes sense to me mm. and once it makes sense to me I let it out mm. and I, you know people yeah. come with all kinds of perspectives that's kind of the beauty of it I, suppose. I think so we should not ask for uniformity yeah. kind of I can read this, that yeah. and the other. And yeah. maybe to bring this in, because you asked about this as a photographic exhibition, mm. I think 
my work is also always about photography mm. as a medium and how to show it mm. so this is part of that yeah, as well absolutely i like that you your ethos as an artist seems to fit very nicely into the way that we're trying to present masculinity which is that it, it doesn't have one form it has many forms and where you, do you and start you, yeah, absolutely. you know and who is going to wear the coat you yeah, know it's for like sure. <laughs> um, liz thank you so much for talking to me pleasure. today it's been a pleasure my next interview is with the very talented, very established Catherine Opie, who is an American fine art photographer. She actually had two pieces of work featuring in this exhibition, one called Being and Having from 1991, where her friends from the LGBTQIA plus community use masculine, in quote unquote, accessories to challenge stereotypes, which was a fantastic display. And her second series, High School Football, which depicts a series of high school footballers and sort of charts the juxtaposition between the vulnerability and youthfulness of these high school boys slash men and also their need to be physically strong and the pillars of masculinity in a traditionally more masculine sport, in quote unquote. Uh, So enjoy. This is Catherine Opie. So I'm here with Catherine Opie. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Um, are you enjoying the exhibition? Congratulations. Yeah, I flew in yesterday from Los Angeles, so this is my first yeah. seeing it, as it is for the other press preview yeah. people. And I think it's quite an amazing exhibition, actually. I think it, it's fantastic. And of course, you've got two pieces, um, well, two series of pieces here. It's You've got high school football, and of course, you've got being and having from 1991. So I guess we can talk about them uh, chronologically, maybe, which piece... I think we could. How would you you like to do it? (laughs) Well, chronologically makes sense. I mean, being and having was made in 1991. Mm. It is like me really like kind of grappling with my own position around documentary photography Mm -hmm. and my relationship to my community and butchness and masculinity and performing masculinity. So it was at a moment in time where I had moved to L.A. from San Francisco. I had gotten through grad school. And I was trying to figure out how to navigate the lesbian community of Los Angeles, which was quite different than San Francisco, actually. Really interesting. Yeah. In what way? Well, it was a very lipstick kind of lesbian femme model. Okay. And so us butches were a little lost in that community. (laughs) Okay. And so I had finally found my little group of friends, and we started wearing fake mustaches and beards to go and hang out at the Palms, which was the only seven-day week lesbian bar in LA on our motorcycles and we would offer women rides homes at night but they wouldn't really take us up on it I think they thought we were like really like (laughs) oh what's wrong with them kind of thing and then through it I decided what it it would be amazing to make a very conceptual series of portraits of my friends with all their fake names with plaques underneath on that bright yellow background Mm. yeah that bright yellow background is really quite poignant is there is there what's the thinking behind the bright yellow because it's very confront they're very confronting aren't they and that color helps them so bold well the color pops it and yellow is kind of thought of as a a color that's not good for skin tones 
So when you're dealing with this face that's kind of cropped, you know, they're portraits, but they're not portraits in a classical sense of mm. portraits like what you're seeing down here with high school football. Yeah. So it's, again, trying to, like, mess around with what a good portrait is to a certain extent. Yeah. And so they're horizontal versus yeah. vertical. Mm. The head is cropped. But the facial hair is all about its fakeness, as well as the fact that some of them seem real. And you're in between yeah. this moment of wondering, are these men or who are these? And so you were confronted in a certain way with that performance. I mean, it seems to highlight the idea of it's very much a construction. Masculinity is a construction, hence that you're physically constructing it with your friends. Um, I thought that was a really interesting idea. Um, let's talk about um, high school football. Can you talk me through your ideas behind that? And then I want to be a bit more, well, I was going to say intrusive, but I want to talk more about your photography photography yeah know, absolutely process <laughs> I mean high school football I think people were quite surprised when all of a sudden I was making these landscapes and portraits and it actually came from having to go to my wife's home in Church Point Louisiana for 10 days in August for a summer vacation right. and I was looking at her going what am I going to do for 10 days <laughs> well on that side of the family I have 25 nieces and nephews and all the nephews being Louisiana boys all play football right okay and so I asked one of my nephews if I could come down and photograph his practices and so then it it just struck me as this extension of American landscape because all the different work has explored ideas around our relationship to community and identity Absolutely. and so high school football was also at this moment in time in 2008 we had been at war for, yeah. a, a for at least, what, seven, eight years at that point? Yeah. And what is it in the same way that I was photographing my friends in the early 90s in terms of the vulnerability of AIDS and the decimation of that within my own community? Mm -hmm. I realized that masculinity in these young men is also fragile Yeah. because an enormous amount of them have bodies trained to really be soldiers yes. as well. And so looking at this youth, and, and at this point in time, I'm also raising a son. You know, I had had Oliver. And so I'm raising a son, and I, you know, obviously had been butch identified for most of my adult life and really thought about masculinity in that way, but to actually bear witness and to go into really documenting that American landscape and that vulnerable time of these young men yeah. was just very touching for me. And I thought another way to kind of break up the stereotype of a high school football player. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm curious, did, the, did your subjects know that that's what you were trying to do, sort of um, deconstruct the idea of what stereotypical masculinity is or were they aware of kind of your project as a whole or, or well, they were aware that I was a professor at UCLA because I wrote them on UCLA letterhead to the high school coaches. Okay. So they were aware of that. Um, if anybody Googled me, I'm sure they became aware of other things that I was certainly worried about them being aware of going yeah, yeah. through like towns like Texas and so forth sure. and Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. But everybody who decided to stand for me was really, you know, everybody got a portrait. So I sent home the the, pre, the 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 release, the portrait release, because they were minors, with a portrait in a sleeve that their parents got to have. And so one of the things is when you start a body of work, 
you know, I spent three years doing this and slowly it begins to unveil more and more mm -hmm. to you. So yeah. you're, my, my first thing was like, what am I going to do on vacation <laughs> to like, oh, this yeah. is a really interesting way again to talk about American landscape. Absolutely. And what about the medium of photography? Because I, I, I find, I mean, there's such a kind of truthfulness to what you're, what you're doing, but there's also uh, so many things can be hidden as well. I find it a very complicated medium, but what's your thought on that? Well, the reason why I've always loved photography is its relationship to history. Mm -hmm. So in the fact that you can go upstairs and see these, you know, yellowed portraits from 1991 of my friends, that that was that period of time of my life, mm. to now, like, all of a sudden going to high school football players, yeah. is that identity in itself is not singular. And identity in terms of how we grow and we roam, and I've been with a camera in my hand really since I was nine years old yeah. and so I went and got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree purely in photography so it was always really the love of the medium mm -hmm. but it's the love of the medium in relationship to creating history that I'm fascinated with that it's a that a visual language is something that is so complicated to try to map out and map out one's life through mm -hmm. images and my own questions and curiosities I feel quite privileged and lucky that I've been able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. That idea of um, a kind of constructing a narrative and also um, a documentation. It's a form of documenting, isn't it? Which, absolutely. You know, my degree is actually in history as well. And, and there's a real sort of, um, you kind of, your ears prick up when you hear kind of this is documented. We've got visual imagery of this moment in time and, and that becomes a lot more poignant. Um, what about masculinity in, in 2020? Do you think these works have a, uh, a special kind of resonance now? That's I mean, a big I, <laughs> it, it's a big question because it's something that we're grappling with all the time. It's something that my, now my son just turned 18 this month wow. and, he's, <laughs> and he's grappling with as well. And I think that one of the things that I've noticed in terms of the younger generation is that they don't necessarily, at least the urban, you know, he's an urban kid. Mm. He's grown up in Los Angeles, but he doesn't feel like that there's any kind of way of being a man you know what I mean that's and maybe that's because he has two lesbian moms as well I mean <laughs> could, be that could as well. have a little yeah, influence yeah, yeah, yeah. on it you know sure. I tried to raise a good feminist yeah 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 good for um, you but I think that even with his friends like what I've really noticed is just this ability to which they're not divided in relationship mm -hmm. to gender it's just like all of both women and you know young girls and and, mm -hmm. and young men hang out together and yeah. form a sense of community mm -hmm. which where before it used to be more separated or mm -hmm. even gender was more separated in relationship to how you even traversed a toy store Absolutely. there was the girl section yeah. or the boys section yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they're realizing that they you know that it needs to be more fluid so mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more fluidity around it but I think that there's a lot at stake for young men too in terms of feeling that they're kind of thought of as the pariahs of society at this moment in time. Yeah. And I think that all of us need to be have empathy, but at the same time still teach what feminism really is about. And feminism isn't 
you know, about saying, oh, you bloody bloke, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's about the fact that yeah. we're, we're here to understand equality and equal rights. Absolutely. And what human, what, what being human means is to have empathy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's still yeah. very much needed, but I think exhibitions like this begin to break down those stereotypes and create larger discourses and conversations yeah. in terms of representation. And that's what we just hope for, really. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And uh, you've sort of answered my final question which is what do you hope the response from the audience will be to your work but well, we've kind of answered that really yeah break I, down those boundaries i suppose yeah i suppose break down like even when you go over here to these two portraits mm. you know just uh connor and and uh steven are totally different in terms of the way that they're performing yeah i mean he's got his superman shirt on <laughs> yeah, yeah. but he's got this little band-aid which is really nice you yeah. know and he's and then connor has is holding the football as if it's like he has to protect it in some yeah. kind of way it becomes very very tender sure. and then how it's like this sewn up uniform on the side and even his look so in that in just this as a juxtaposition Mm -hmm. shows you that like it really it isn't one way there isn't a stereotype that it's again about being human fantastic Catherine thank you so much for talking to me yeah absolutely thank you so much That is all we've got time for this afternoon. Thank you for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. To contact the show, please visit Anna Gammons Art on Instagram where you can send me a message and there will be sneaky peeks into what is coming up on each week's show. And I'm also slightly editing the format given the coronavirus lockdown that is in place at the moment. And I want to hear how you guys at home are using art to stay connected, stay creative and stay mentally well during this very difficult time so send me a message if you want to chat to me and uh, you know promote your practice on the radio have a little chat with me about art uh, get in contact I want to hear what you're up to and I do want to take this opportunity as well to thank all the essential workers that are keeping us safe right now I hope everyone else is staying home and staying safe and I will see you next week at 3 30 on Resonance 104.4 FM have a good week